recently, I had a chance to catch the first episode of the new Apple TV series, Loot. It features Maya Rudolph playing the part of a newly divorced wife of a tech billionaire who suddenly finds herself one of the richest women in the world. After going on a raucous revenge binge, she decides to settle down and get involved with a charity she didn't know she had founded. Her first attempt to help ends in disaster, and she finds herself in the director's office, scolded and humiliated. In a rare moment of vulnerability, she confesses, I never did the hard work of figuring out who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm doing it now. And it's really scary. Now, she doesn't get much sympathy from the director, but the show is off and running from there. Have you ever figured out who you are and what you're supposed to be doing? It can be hard work, no matter who you are. Last week, we met a man named Moses, one of the most significant figures in the Bible and in human history. But he, too, had a hard time figuring out who he was and what he was supposed to be doing. He came into the world under some unusual circumstances. Born a Hebrew, enslaved and endangered, but raised as an Egyptian in the royal household of his people's oppressor. And he found himself conflicted by those dueling backgrounds. We talked about our own birth stories, how they can shape our lives, how difficult it can be to make sense of them. But we learned that however our stories began, God was there from the beginning, forming us for life with him and with others for the good of the world around us. Now, if you missed that message, I encourage you to go back and pick it up. And not only because it sets up the series and the year, but because it includes a beautiful story featuring our own Pastor Jeanette. Well, as a young man, Moses tried to assert himself to identify with his people and do something about their suffering. But he ended up committing murder, became a pariah to his own people and the Egyptians. So he ran for his life and found refuge in an out-of-the-way land called Midian, where he spent decades leading his father-in-law's sheep through the wilderness. Somewhere along the way, he had a son who he named Gershom, which means, I've become an alien in an alien land. Brings to mind the old Beatles tune. He's a real nowhere man, living in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Isn't he a bit like you and me? In spite of his unusual beginnings, Moses is a bit like all of us, trying to figure out who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. Oh, fortunately, Moses and we are about to get a little help in figuring all that out. So let's press on into chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Exodus. If you happen to pick up one of those uh, With God worksheets or print one at home, uh, feel free to jot some notes or draw some pictures on it as we go. Exodus chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. 
So here's Moses, minding his own business, doing what he's been doing every day for the past 40 years or so, tending someone else's sheep. It's not rocket science, as the saying goes. It's about as ordinary as it gets. And as if he wasn't enough of a nowhere man already, Moses decides to take his sheep to the far side of the wilderness, where he finds himself at a place known as the Mountain of God. It's sometimes called Horeb in the scriptures, sometimes it's called Sinai. Now, now technically, it wasn't really the Mountain of God yet, because nothing had happened there, but something's about to happen that will make it one of the most famous and revered places on earth. So something catches Moses' eye there in that remote place, a bush that seems to be on fire. And now scholars have debated exactly what was happening here. Was it, was it a vision of a bush on fire? Uh, like someone who sees something that, that isn't actually there? Or was it literally a bush on fire but not burning up? Or was it an ordinary bush that looked especially radiant in the golden hour of sunset? Any day now, uh, we'll be seeing some of these around New England burning bushes. But I'm pretty sure they weren't growing on the far side of the desert. Whatever it was, something remarkable was happening. Something so beautiful, so unsettling, that it got his attention. We're told that an angel of the Lord was in the bush. Now, scholars aren't quite sure what to make of that either. Because in a moment, we're going to be told that it was the Lord who was in the bush. So was it an angel? Was it the Spirit of God? Or could it have been an Old Testament pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, the second person of the Godhead? Whatever that phrase means, God was clearly present in the bush. Now, Moses doesn't know that yet. As far as we can tell, he just sees uh, an unusual sight. But interestingly, he, he doesn't rush over to see what was happening or what it meant. The text says, so Moses thought. He pauses for a moment or two and thinks about what he wants to do. Does he really want to get involved with whatever's going on over there? The last time he inserted himself into a volatile situation, it went badly. Life as a shepherd may not have been all that exciting, but it was safe and familiar and comfortable. So Moses has a decision to make. And after a moment of reflection, he decides to take a closer look, to see what's going on. That's an interesting little detail, this pause, but I think it's there on purpose. Let's keep reading, and I'll show you what I mean. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Now notice that. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look. It's clear that God took the initiative here, showing up in the bush. But then God waits, waits for Moses to make the next move. Almost as if he wasn't going to say anything until or unless Moses came closer and leaned in. So, so Moses goes over and takes a closer look, and next thing you know, God is speaking to him from the bush, calling him by name. Not, hey, you with the beard, but, but Moses, Moses. 
Remember when your mother called you twice by name? It meant she really wanted your attention. If she called you by your middle name, then it meant you were in trouble. But if she called you twice, it was because she wanted you, you in particular. And Moses responds, here I am. What else do you say to a talking bush, right? But there's something to it. Moses is present to the moment. He opens himself up to whoever is talking to him. Here I am. Now, uh, let's us pause for a moment and, and think about what's happening here. Because, because the way this encounter is described suggests that things like this could be happening to us. Now, now maybe not as dramatic as a burning bush, but we all have curious moments in the course of a day. We see things or hear things or feel things that, that catch our attention, that, that invite us to pause and to think. A flower springing up through a crack in the sidewalk. A striking sunset, graffiti on a brick wall, a song on the radio, a provocative post. We see a person in need. Someone drops a revealing or vulnerable comment. We, we feel a prompting to say or do something, even something unusual, out of the ordinary. And like Moses in those moments, we have a decision to make. Will we be present to that moment? Will we go over and take a closer look? Will we quiet ourselves and listen? Ask ourselves, what's going on? Will we take a chance, interrupt our predictable routine, and lean in to whatever is happening? Because it could be that God is in those things, that he's making his presence known, that he has something to say to us, but he's waiting for us to make the next move. Will we come closer? Will we pay attention to what we're seeing or hearing or feeling? I think that's what the poet was getting at when she wrote those famous lines. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. You see, God is present, but he's not pushy. God takes initiative, but then waits for us to take the next step. So if we don't teach ourselves to pay attention, if we never pause in our routine or take a chance on something that's not our usual jam, we, we might miss an encounter that could make our day or change our life or somebody else's life. Earlier this week, I was on a Zoom call with a group of New England pastors. Uh, we do it once a week or so to check in with each other. Now, I had a full schedule that day and didn't really feel like I had time for a 30-minute call. But, but I had missed the last few times and felt like I needed to, to catch up. Well, the host tossed out an opening thought for discussion. And it was something that felt completely out of left field for me, something I hadn't really been thinking about at all. He asked us what the passing of Queen Elizabeth meant for the church and the world. 
Now, it was an interesting question, but completely unrelated to anything I was working on that day. And I found myself wondering why I was on this call and, and wondering if I should have just skipped it and caught up on some emails. But then one of the pastors offered a thought, an honest one. And another shared an interesting insight. And within a few minutes, we were having a rich conversation about something so interesting and profound, I'll probably be preaching about it one of these days. But I nearly missed it. Nearly settled for doing email, which is the modern equivalent of plucking blackberries. Friends, I don't want you or I to miss anything God might be saying or doing among us this fall. Now, I don't want to get overly dramatic about it, but, but here we are on the far side of COVID, sensing that, that God might be up to something, doing something new in our lives in the church. Will you be present to what God might be inviting you into this season? Are you willing to lean in to try something, to say to God, here I am? Figuring out who you are and what you're supposed to be doing can be hard work. So so we provided you with some tools and resources to to help you do that. (laughs) This story suggests that, that, that God can turn something as mundane as a discipleship planning tool into a burning bush. That God can speak to you through a Bible study or a small group or a marriage course or a serving opportunity. Isn't it worth 15 minutes of your time to fill out a forum online? Give God a chance to show you something about yourself, about what he has in mind for you this year? Well, it turns out God had something pretty big in mind for Moses. So let's keep reading. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So Moses takes a closer look, but at a certain point, God tells him that's close enough. In the words of one commentator, you don't wander into God's presence as if you're strolling up to a deli counter. Moses takes off his sandals as an expression of humility and vulnerability. And in that moment, a dusty patch of real estate on the far side of nowhere became holy ground. Not because it was different than any other patch of real estate, but because an encounter was taking place there between a human being and Almighty God. And that God identified himself as the one who'd been there from the beginning, the one who had formed Adam and Eve from the dust of the earth, the one who had called Abraham to be the father of a great nation. And at that point, Moses got scared. And we can understand why. I mean, for starters, it's God he's talking to in a burning bush. The God he'd been avoiding for 40 years. The God he's already failed once, big time. 
the God who's been watching him closely enough to know his name. And chances are this God hasn't shown up to talk about the weather or how the sheep business is going. Remember the words of the Maya Rudolph character? I've never done the hard work of figuring out who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm doing it now, and it's scary. It can be scary to face the truth about yourself, to ask hard questions, uh, to consider the possibility that there's someone out there who's bigger than you, who won't let you settle for easy answers or plucking blackberries. Haven't we all kept God at arm's length sometimes because we're afraid of, of what he might see in us or what he might ask of us? Sure enough, God was about to ask something of Moses, something big. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, Moses must have been pretty glad, relieved to hear that after all these years, after all this suffering, finally, God is going to do something. He's going to deliver his people from bondage and lead them back to the land of promise. But then God says, So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Wait, what? Moses must have been thinking, Me? Go back to the scene of the crime? The scene of my failure? Me? The guy who can't figure out if I'm a Hebrew or an Egyptian or a Midianite? Me? A shepherd? confront the most powerful man on earth and lead hundreds and thousands of people on a trek through the wilderness? <laughs> Turns out that's exactly what Moses was thinking. Verse 11, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go back to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? It's a question every human being asks sooner or later. A question we ask again and again as we, as we make our way through life from one stage or season to the next. Who am I? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? For 40 years, Moses had been trying to answer that question. And the best he could come up with was nowhere man making nowhere plans. But all of that was about to change with the next words God was going to speak. Verse 12. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. I will be with you. That's God's answer to the who am I question. As in, you'll never know who you are, Moses, till you know that I am with you. It's the answer God gives to everyone who's willing to do the hard work of figuring out who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. You'll never really know who you are until you know that God is with you. Because we learned last week that this story began all the way back at creation when God made human beings 
in his image and invited them to join him in caring for the world he'd made. We were designed from the beginning to live our lives in relationship with the God who made us. An author and pastor named Sky Jathani has come up with a, a rubric for understanding the spiritual journey. Uh, pastor Leah shared it with us a few years ago, and, and I'd like to bring it back for this series. Jathani proposes five ways that people typically relate to God based on five different prepositions. And in case you've forgotten, prepositions are small words that make a big difference. <laughs> and you'll see what I mean. Uh, for some people, the journey is all about life under God. They see God as the great rule maker who rewards or punishes people according to how they live. Their approach to the spiritual life is to say, if I keep the rules, God will bless me. That's the way many people relate to God, even if they're not overtly religious. For others, it's all about life over God. They see God as the watchmaker who designed the universe to work a certain way, but then stepped away and left it up to us to do what we want with it. Their approach to life is to say, thanks God, I'll take it from here. A third option is life from God, which sees God as a gift giver who will make us happy and healthy and wealthy if we stay on his good side with some prayers and Bible reading and church attendance. Their basic mantra is, what have you done for me lately, God? The opposite of that is the life for God approach, which views God as a taskmaster who will take care of our business if we take care of his. They're always asking the question, what have I done for God lately? And many of us are familiar with this one. Now, chances are you recognize these four approaches. And one of them is probably your default way of relating to God. Take a moment and think about it. Which one do you tend to slip into? Life under God? Over God? From God? For God? The problem is that none of these are very satisfying, and none of them are very biblical. What we're learning in this series is that we were designed for life with God, seeing God as, as Father and, and even friend. When we understand the journey this way, we approach life by asking, what are we going to do today, Lord? You see the difference a preposition can make? Doesn't a with God life sound way better than, than any of these others? God was inviting Moses into a relationship with him that would end up blessing others and the world around him. Now, if we had time, we could revisit Moses' story to this point and find out that he's pretty much tried all four of these other prepositions, under God, over God, from God, for God, None of them have worked out very well. But here at this burning bush, on this holy ground, he's invited into a with God life. Well, Moses is intrigued, but he's not quite convinced. He responds to God's invitation in verse 13. Moses said to God, 
Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are saying to the Israelites, I am has sent you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Now, we don't have a long time to get into an explanation of this name, which which is probably good because it, it pretty much defies any human explanation. Basically, it's a riff on the Hebrew word for being. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I is who I is. It reminds us that, that God not only has a name, but God is the very essence of existence and personhood. Now, we typically express that name as Yahweh or Jehovah, based on the the Hebrew consonants that are found in the text. And Yahweh was to Old Testament believers what Jesus is to us, the name by which we know and relate to God. And the amazing thing is God, God not only has a name, which means he's a person, God shares that name with Moses which means he wants a relationship. God is introducing himself to Moses because apparently Moses hasn't really known God to this point. He's known about God. He's heard songs and stories about God. But it's hard to have a relationship with someone you've never actually met, especially if you don't know their name. Hey, you with the beard doesn't take you very far. Now, this whole encounter isn't over yet. It goes on for another chapter and a half. Uh, Moses struggles to understand and believe how all this can work. Five times he pushes back. But every time, God responds by saying in so many words, I will be with you. So by the time this conversation is over, Moses and Yahweh are on a first-name basis. And Moses walks away from the burning bush and heads back to Midian and then Egypt with God for the next leg of his journey. So here's what we're learning from Moses and and Exodus today. There are moments on everyone's journey when God draws near and invites us into deeper relationship with him. There are moments on everyone's journey when God draws near and invites us into deeper relationship with him. A relationship made possible through faith in Jesus Christ, who came into the world to literally be God with us, Emmanuel. You see, like Moses, most of us know something about God. And we've heard stories and songs about God. Others maybe have wondered if there is a God, and if there is, what that means for us. But sooner or later, we find ourselves at a burning bush of some sort. God gets our attention one way or another. Something happens to us that that rocks our world, something good or, or something rough. We're confronted with a mess we've made. And we wonder if God will want anything to do with someone like us. 
Someone tells us how, how they discovered a relationship with God. And we wonder if such a thing could be true for us. We're sitting in a church service or a Bible study or a coffee shop. And suddenly it seems like God is speaking directly to us. Encounters like that don't happen just once or twice in a lifetime, but again and again on this journey of life and faith and discipleship. And we have an opportunity in those moments to lean in and draw near to God or to rush past them and keep God at arm's length. There are moments on everyone's journey when God draws near and invites us into deeper relationship with him. And chances are you can identify some of those moments in your life, especially the ones you leaned into. Our, our Exodus image for this week is, is a bush formed from the words of this encounter. And the, and the With God worksheet offers you some space to draw or write in your own burning bush moments. Uh, when, when I think of some of those moments in my life, I, I think of a small Baptist church overlooking the Hudson River where I first said yes to Jesus as a kid at Vacation Bible School. I think of the beach at Camp of the Woods where God met me as a confused and a homesick teenager and saw me through a life-changing summer. A suburban basement in Illinois where I gave a talk to a bunch of teenagers and they actually listened. Driving home from the hospital under a crescent moon on the night our daughter was born. A Catholic retreat house on Long Island where God finally showed up after a long, dark night of the soul. But, but, but the particular moment this story brought to my mind happened, happened on a rocky rise overlooking Fawn Lake in Bedford in my early days at Grace Chapel when I was feeling overwhelmed and inadequate and thinking that maybe God had called the wrong guy. To make a long story short, the Lord met me on a run that day. Kicked my butt, actually. Uh, not unlike what he did with Moses. He told me to stop whining, stop grieving, and get going. I paused on this little hill and heard the Lord say in my spirit, this is the time, this is the place, these are the people. And I heard myself saying back, meet me here, Lord, and make me your servant in this place. There's no burning bush on that hill, but, but there might as well have been. That rocky piece of real estate became holy ground to me that day, and it still is. I stopped there regularly and thanked God for meeting me that day and asked him again to meet me here, Lord, make me your servant in this place. But you've had moments like that too. And I'd encourage you to spend some time this week thinking about them, naming them, uh, maybe making some notes on that worksheet, sharing them with friends or around the lunch or dinner table. But I'd also like you to be open to the possibility that this could be a burning bush moment for you. 
an ordinary service on a random Sunday. I'd like you to consider the possibility that the place you are right now could be holy ground. Whether you're sitting in one of our campuses or watching at home in your PJs or, or pounding a treadmill or riding in a car or tuning in from the other side of the world, is it possible that God is speaking to you right now, calling you by name, inviting you into a deeper relationship with Him? Don't miss it. Don't rush past this moment. Talk back to him. Say yes to him. Take 15 minutes to fill out a form or check out a small group. Send me an email at brianatgrace.org. Whatever you do, don't settle for picking blackberries when you could be living every day of your life with God and with others for the good of the world around you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for holy moments. Thank you for being a God who wants to be known by name, who comes near to us in moments like this. Thank you for the times you have met me and so many others in the ways we've been describing today. I pray that this might be a holy moment for many of us, as we draw near to you for the first time, maybe, for the first time in a long time, or for the hundredth time. Meet us here, Lord. Lead us on our journey this year. In the strong and beautiful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.